Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying only on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. About time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert, I'm your host Ryan Gable, and you're tuned into The Secret Teachings Radio, airing five nights a week, Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific, on Ground Zero dot Radio, the Aftermath FM, soon to be the Ground Zero dot Radio app. Right after Clyde Lewis and Ground Zero, seven to ten Pacific, 
U.S. time, The Secret Teachings, 10 to midnight. Thank you for coming over to The Secret Teachings from Clyde and Ground Zero. Thank you so much, those of you who have supported the show by subscribing to the archive or buying a book. For those of you who have not, I encourage you to do so. You keep us on air when you do that. Again, five nights a week. That's 20 shows a month times 12 months. It's $50 for a yearly subscription, so you do the math. Plus, you get access to the montage archive. The show archive is also ad-free on the website. Otherwise, you can listen for free to The Secret Teachings on any radio or podcast player or application. You just have to listen to those annoying advertisements. But if you check out our website and subscribe, you'll get rid of those. You'll get access also to my digital books as part of your subscription. That alone, I think, is worth it for the cost. Otherwise, you can buy the book separately. My book, Occult Arcana, my book, The Technological Elixir, and my book, Liberty Shrugged, and then my other book, Food Philosophy, a smaller little work, are all available only on the website. If you'd like to contact me directly, I don't have a secretary or an assistant, so you'll be contacting me directly. I also don't have a producer, so you'll be contacting me directly at rdgable at yahoo.com. That's rdgable at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media as well, tst underscore underscore radio on Twitter and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. I'm not sure why people think this, and this is a good thought that I've been, um, I've been made aware of, uh, that uh, for some reason the secret teachings is uh, above uh, some people in the radio industry as if I, I, I wouldn't interview them. I don't know why some people think that. So if you're looking to be interviewed or you think your content would be good for the secret teachings, Shoot me an email, and we'll see what happens. No reason to be intimidated or afraid. I'm not sure. Maybe it's maybe it's my personality. I don't know. Sometimes I come off as pretty crass. But if you want to come on The Secret Teachings, you're a guest. You have something to share. You have something to present the audience. I would probably, I can't say for sure, but I would probably enjoy that a lot. Some people, though, I I, I don't know if I'd want to do, <laughs> do, do a show with them. There are some people that uh, want to just talk about how they're being controlled by reptilian alien microchips or something, which, hey, maybe they are. I don't know. But as we approach October 30th, the 31st into November, we approach All Hallows Eve, All Hallows Mass. We approach Samhain, Samhain, All Saints Day, All Souls Day. Last week, we learned with Laura Lavender from Mysteries Beyond about Santa Morte. And we learned about her relationship with Anubis and various other characters, deities, symbols, and ideas from around the world, different cultures. And although this particular deity, Santa Morte, is from one particular part of the world and isn't well known around the world, we know her by different names under the general heading of the goddess or whatever you will. And we find that certain kinds of imagery obviously become very popular during this time of the year because we approach Halloween. And as we approach Halloween, our attention collectively is turned toward skeletons and ghosts and haunted houses. And I think it's important to recognize that although we might want to be scared during this time of the year, we watch scary movies, we go to haunted houses... Maybe we go to a Halloween party, we dress up. The image of death 
is an image that is, I think, grossly misunderstood. Death is an equalizer. Death is the debt that all men and women, all men, man, mankind, women, women included in that, everybody pays that debt. I guess you also pay taxes too, but you know everybody's going to pay the debt. They're going to die at some point. You're going to die. So as the yearly wheel turns, we move past Maybon, which is the fall equinox, and we approach the end of October. And a few things happen in the Northern Hemisphere. Number one, the black horse of Revelations of the end times, the four horses of the apocalypse. The black horse of the apocalypse rides upon the earth bringing death, bringing famine. The crops die. We have to harvest things, so we have harvest festivals. And because things are dying and because things are falling and collapsing and things are becoming chaotic and destructive, this is the fall. Literally the autumnal equinox, literally the fall months, but also the fall of man. So the black horse of the apocalypse, the fall of man, these are things that happen every single year. And the unveiling or the apocalypse relates to the lifting of the veil once again during this time of the year. So the end times, all of these things that we look at as prophecy to be fulfilled in a literal biblical Christian or Judeo-Christian or some variation of Christian, I mean, even, you know, Islamic or, I mean, hell, uh, you know, Ragnarok, the end of the world, all of these different traditions around the world, the, the end of the world's going to occur, apocalypse, revelation, etc. Uh, the apocalypse is the unveiling, so it's the lifting of the veil. And death is only scary, and its associated images are only scary, if we don't include life in the mixture, because death is a prerequisite for rebirth. So throughout history, death has been a central feature in human culture. And death is both part of the microcosm of the body because the body is breaking down, but also replicating. Cells are replicating, so there's life. And of course, this is happening with the earth itself. It's also happening all throughout nature, all throughout the cosmos. So the body and uh, the death that we eventually succumb to is a microcosm in regard, in relation in comparison with the macrocosm of nature itself. And all the skeletons and ghosts and death masks and scary things, they're really just memento mori. They're reminders of the fragility of life. They're not symbols of, of death worship, although some people do do that. They do worship death. Instead, death is venerated alongside of life as part of a cyclical process, and we know that we have you know, jack-o'-lanterns, but we, we have uh, pumpkins. We used to have turnips. Turnips were used to be used to make the, the jack-o'-lantern the pumpkin. And they'd put a coal from the bonfire in there to light their way home, symbolically or literally. And uh, so we have vegetables. We have, uh, you know, we have gourds. We have, uh, we have squash. We have things we use to, to light our way home. And these things are kind of similar to Christmas because we bring plants inside to venerate nature and to remember, like Memento Mori, that we will have green, we will have food, we will have uh, springtime, which is the white horse, so you have the black of the fall, the pale of the winter, the white of the spring, and the red of the summertime. And so it's not a negative, dark thing. Uh, Halloween and Christmas, two totally different things, especially for Christians, but they're really the same thing. I mean, the trick or treat, you know, you give the treat or there's a trick, that's a contractual obligation, just like the Santa Claus. 
you are naughty or you're nice. You get presence or you get coal. It's all coming from the same place. And when you look around the world, it could be uh, Jessa. It could be Hungry Ghost. It could be the day or the days of the dead. It could be the Bon Festival in Japan. It could be Pitru Paksha in the Hindu tradition. It's a celebration of life by honoring the dead. And there couldn't be anything more positive than that. It's certainly not negative. It's certainly not evil. It's certainly not satanic. And certainly not something that you should shake your Bible at. Although some people certainly, yes, do use this time of the year as a, as a very dark thing. And they don't, I don't think anyway, I don't think a lot of uh, the people that practice these things for shock value really have an understanding of what they're doing. Because when the veil is thinned and lifted, uh, things come across. So we dress up in costumes and we leave out food and candy and things like that to appease them and also to welcome our, our relatives that are in the mix of the evil spirits. And I thought, what better person to have on the show tonight to discuss all of this, to really get into, with a deep dive, into the conscious and subconscious minds of all of us, every single one of us, is Anthony Tyler. He's been on the show before, and he is with me right now. Anthony, thank you so much for coming back on The Secret Teachings. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you, man. It's always fun to um, hash things out with you. We always... uh, (laughs) We always end up talking about some pretty fun stuff. Well, you don't just talk about things on the surface. You go deep. You take a deep dive. Everything I just mentioned there, do you go further than that in terms of the deep dive? What can you tell us about some of these Halloween traditions, how they relate to the subconscious or how they relate to uh, human nature and the, the eternal battle between good and evil, darkness and light, etc.? Yeah, man. Well, um, Last Halloween, I released the second book. Um, uh, initially, there was Dive Manual, and then I released Hunt Manual. And uh, Dive Manual was a little bit more, you know, it was focused mostly around the divine feminine um, symbolism, among other things. Um, it was kind of the core motif. And then uh, Hunt Manual was specifically geared towards the shadow and everything that that entails, which is, Quite a bit, and with a specific emphasis being on evil, because uh, you know the shadow from a union psychological perspective. It's you know just as a um, a brief introductory for anyone that needs a refresher. Um, sort of that which the con- your conscious mind encompasses, but doesn't it doesn't have uh, ready access to. So it's all that stuff that falls falls beneath um, the the daily. Um, interactions that you have and and uh, the data input. So is the, um, but is, the than, is the subconscious mind basically the mind of the shadow? Um, essentially, yeah, yeah. Um, and it goes a little deeper than that, but that's sort of the the uh, the initial trajectory there. Um, because the shadow, from a psychological sense, just it's meant to. It's a very deliberate uh, metaphor. Um, it's meant to encapsulate things that are always with us, but yeah, not, not, not easily, even if they are seen, they always seem to, um, um, you know, lurk in the, the corners of our perception and and that's where evil exists as well. Um, evil by its definition is something that is, um, sort of unknown. You know, we fear that which we do not understand. Um, and. I think, um, you know, Halloween, especially, you know, with the astrology of the whole situation is something that's always 
um, encapsulated people's, you know, because death is something that's tied in with the notion of evil as well. And um, I think coming to terms with that from a human perspective is something that you can try to avoid, but it's, it's, it, 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 it's something that you'll, it, it'll rear its ugly head eventually. And most people um, are deeply impacted. If in, you know, essentially everyone uh, is impacted by uh, the, you know, the environment around us and the seasons around us. That's, you know, the, the astrology is the philosophy of astronomy and everyone has always, you know, when things, when we see things die around us, um, you know, going into the winter phase, it just seems you know, things get darker, things get colder. It seems to, you know, be a harbinger for this sort of natural time of the year where it seems like people feel most comfortable uh, expressing or indulging or just trying to tinker with those elements of themselves that, you know, are normally relegated to the background. Because that's the other thing. I think on a, you know, it, we could get more into that, but um, as I've said before, I've probably said it at least once um, on one of the conversations we've had, but I think the idea of the shadow is best encapsulated by the um, the story of Faust, um, specifically uh, Gautier's rendition, um, and as well as the Divine Comedy. Um, and, you know, the whole idea of Virgil being the Roman poet that helps Dante, he's, he's sent by God and Beatrice to facilitate Dante's whole metaphysical journey, uh, but he is not allowed into heaven. Um, so he's a pagan. Um, and there's in the story of Faust, um, sort of the opposite side of that coin, um, in, in, in a book of Job sort of tradition, um, the angel Mephistopheles comes to God and asks him, you know, would people still feel so inclined to worship you um, if they had everything they needed? Would they still would they still even have you in mind? And so they give Faust this limitless power. And throughout the rest of the story, for all intents and purpose, purposes, uh, Mephistopheles is a devil, but he is an angel in the court of heaven at the beginning. And that beginning context sort of sets the stage for everything. Um, and I, I I think if you want an easy takeaway from that, it's that things, you know, sometimes the things that seem the nicest are potentially the most dangerous and vice versa. You know, you look throughout history time and time again, I think it's a very clear uh, takeaway. It, 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 it's a safe bet that if some, the better someone thinks they are, you know, unequivocally, I am doing the Lord's work. I am the utmost good. You know, the more capacity for evil that person really has. I think at that point where you stop uh, giving credit, you know, giving a certain amount of reverence to your shadow, you know, the things that you're still working on, the things that you don't understand about yourself, just simply understanding that those things exist and you're constantly working with them. That's the thing that makes us good people you know, so often it's a huge component because we see, you know, just over and over, whether it's holy wars or, or, you know, someone like, you know, a serial killer that just wants to watch the world burn or a politician, you know, people, once they start to think that they are in a position of doing the utmost good, they no longer have the sort of 
these, these restraints, you know, they, they no longer have the doubt. It's where you start to get into like sociopathy and narcissism. And so to consider the shadow and even the things that are scary or uncomfortable as evil, um, I, you know, I think it's far more harmful to just do that sort of new age idea of, of just to avoid the negative, because if you avoid the negative, you're only going to get positive. In fact, what I'm saying is the opposite. I think the more that you just blatantly avoid the negative, the more of an absolute psychopath you will become. You know, it's the same I, thing. I agree. I agree with you. I've, I've said that about what we call new ageism. I'm not disparaging new ageism. I'm saying that same thing you've said. I've said that for years, too. If you avoid the negative, you don't have any perspective on the good and your idle hands in this false perception of utopia you've created, uh, this delusion, your idle hands become tools of the devil. You know, yeah, I, I, it, it's that same thing as like Plato, Plato's philosopher king mentality. I think, you know, those that are most fit to rule um, generally don't want to. And those that um, aren't fit to rule are generally the ones that really want to. Um, isn't it like and, the... You know, it, it creates that blind spot in the human psychology. Certainly. And isn't it like the Pythagorean why? And the Pythagorean why, it's the idea that you take the left-hand path... And it's really, really easy. But at the end of that path is hell. And the right-hand path is really, really difficult. But at the end of that path is heaven. And I've seen depictions of this before. It's just a simple letter Y. It's called the Pythagorean Y. Do you know anything about that? I think it's the exact same thing that you're talking about. I don't think I've come across that one exactly. That's interesting, though. I think that's something um, something you you should look up and uh, read about. It's a little tiny uh, drawing, or you know, people have painted it before, but it's just it's a it's that same concept. And I think what you're saying makes me feel makes me think that um, in re- I, I was talking about the four horses of the apocalypse: red is summer, black is fall, pale is winter, mm-hmm. and and the spring is white. And uh, you know, Dante wrote in his Inferno. I think it was Canto thirty three or thirty four. He says that hell is an ice palace. It's not, you know, warm and, you know, things aren't on fire. It's actually a palace of ice and it's cold and it's dark, which is the opposite of right. a, a warm lit heaven. And th- th- I think this relates to the cycles of nature because you have, uh, you have the spring and the summer, which are red, and you have the fall and the winter, which are black. That's where the idea of playing cards uh, also comes from. So when you have the death in the winter, these sort of become as as the as the sun dies as well that you have the, I guess a m- more of a focus on the moon. So that's the reflective quality in nature, but it refers also to the human and the moon is that reflective element. Uh, the winter and and the even the fall months they allow us to reflect internally because we're more so kept inside. It's very cold. Things have died. There's a lot of retrospect uh, retrospection, a lot of uh, introspection that occur during those months. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think that's a great way to put it too. Um, I think people um, often forget that, you know, the things that we do, you know, collectively as a culture, even as a species um, aren't new. Sometimes they are, but like, even when we're doing new things, like using the internet, it's, you know, it's using age old operating systems of our, of, of our conscious mind. Um, we are, you know, just because we're on an adaptational scale here doesn't mean that we're very different than we were, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, so, 
Um, I think that uh, the understanding of the astrology and astrological implications of it, you know, that's that's real astrology there. That's not looking at daily horoscopes. That's, that's uh, you know, um, it, 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 it's a great introduction to the conversation, uh, to say the least. And, um, you know, I think, you know, because people's... Um, People's fascination with true crime is something that sort of ties into this all. And more and more, you see the element of the serial killer uh, involved in, you know, something like the exploration of the shadow, like Halloween is. Um, and one would be tempted to say that that is, you know, something like a new archetype. And you could say that it's been given a new sort of psychological life but it's actually not a new archetype. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but just to, um, because it's, it's a fascinating take on uh, the symbolism of the shadow from an Eastern perspective. I'm curious if you've heard the story of Angulimala, the, uh, the, the Buddhist. I have not heard that story. Please enlighten me. So this is actually, it's a story of the, you know, I, some of those Buddhist words. I like reading and I like studying Buddhism, but man, I'm not dedicated to phonetically sounding out well, all of that. <laughs> so we, we, whatever, we've know, only got, like we've only got like a minute and a half. So do you want to tell the story now? Or do you want to save it for the next segment? I think I want to save that for the next segment, but suffice it to say that, um, like a, a disciple of the Buddha was a prolific serial killer before renouncing his ways. And this is a very old story. So the idea of the serial killer, goes back much further than um, our true crime obsession. We do have a true crime obsession today. I, I, I've never really, I don't think, like personally recognize that because I don't really watch TV. I don't really watch streaming services, but I see a lot of social media. Everything's like killers and ser- serial killers, murderers, psychopaths. It's a very, very common thing. So when we come back, Anthony Tyler, you're going to tell that story. And we'll. I think we're going to talk more uh, as the show goes on tonight, uh, getting into the subconscious, getting into, um, well, as your work, uh, as your books say, we're going to deep dive into uh, into the psychology of, of the human. Uh, and I think also into the, if I can, the psychology of nature. It's one and the same, the micro-macrocosm. We're going to explore all that tonight with Anthony Tyler. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's a lot more after this. Don't go anywhere. Thanks, Ryan. This is David Knight with the DavidKnightShow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teaching. The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. I hope that you'll check out my new book, Liberty Shrugged. I wrote Liberty Shrug to provide historical context and to dispel many of the myths that we learn about in American history. Inside the nearly 700-page book, you'll learn about meritocracy, the differences between civil liberties and civil rights, and how Western civilization didn't start slavery, but ended it as an institution that had existed for thousands of years. How many of the Founding Fathers did indeed own slaves, but what was peculiar about this was that these men would fight to end the institution for a variety of reasons. 
We look at the real causes of the American Revolution and the American Civil War. We prove without a doubt that slavery was in no way, shape, or form the cause of current socioeconomic issues which affect all people regardless of their color. In other words, this book dispels countless divisive social, cultural, and historical myths in an attempt to objectively find humble gratefulness in the American experience. Get your copy of Liberty Shrugged at thesecretteachings.info in softcover or digital. This is David Icke from davidike.com, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. From ground zero to The Secret Teachings, keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. Want to hear more of The Secret Teachings radio show? Search for the show on any radio or podcast player, or find links and a free archive at thesecretteachings.info. If you want to get rid of those annoying ads and get extra perks like access to the montage archive, digital copies of Ryan's books, and early access to the show, then subscribe to the full show archive at thesecretteachings.info. Visit the website and click the button that says subscribe. You can do so monthly, yearly, or through a one-time donation. Your support always keeps the secret teachings on the air. If you enjoy the secret teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Anthony Tyler is my guest tonight on The Secret Teachings. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Anthony was telling us before the break we wanted to save the story. I don't know if I can pronounce it. It is Angulimala. It's uh, a story that uh, it's, it's, it's a Buddhist story. I don't, yeah. Can you pronounce it better than that? Um, Angulimala. Okay, you've practiced I'm sure, this. I'm sure there's some... There's some uh, emphasis in certain places that uh, my American tongue can now put it in. But, yeah, that would just be like <laughs> the standard way. Well, I see the, um, the, the dot over the N, Angulimala, something like that. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's, the, that's the name of the story. So tell us the story. How does this relate to what we were discussing earlier, the shadow self, uh, good and evil, Halloween, the thinning of the veil, etc.? Um, in in a very nuanced way uh, that will be very clear uh, from the onset. But um, I will say that um, it's probably the oldest, like, mythological, it's the only real mythological story that I know of, like, aside from, you know, someone murdering their family or something like that, like, like actual, quote-unquote, true crime related that I've ever really come across. It's, it's pretty fascinating, um, and 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 especially by the end, it's extremely poignant. And um, and 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 so Angulimala is 
it, it, it translates to finger necklace because, and, you know, I wasn't even um, expecting to tell this story. So I don't even remember what his, uh, his initial name was, but that became the title once he became uh, what he was known for. And originally he was um, another student. Um, he, you know, he was training uh, to um, uh, be some sort of monk and um, no one really liked him. He was, he was sort of like a teacher's pet kind of situation. And um, all these students and eventually the, uh, the teacher himself sort of grew tired of him. So the teacher ended up giving him this school's errand quest, um, something that was just so left field that it, it would just kind of stump him and they'd never see him again. And he said, um, I cannot continue to teach you until you just go and get me a thousand fingers. Um, and it, it, because it was meant to be so left field, no one thought he would follow through. And I guess if you want to be pra- morbid and practical about it, he could have gone and dug up 10,000 fingers. But this guy just sort of got in his mindset um, and started killing people. And eventually, and this is an actual Buddhist story. I mean, there's no telling if it actually, actually happened, but this is, uh, this is a very old story. Uh, he, he just starts almost like Richard Ramirez, Night Stalker style, just sometimes he's picking people off on the outskirts of town. Sometimes he's busting into people's houses, but he like grows a reputation for hanging out in the woods and being like a, like a beast in the woods that's just killing people and taking their fingers and wearing them. Um, and, you know, word reaches royalty who are starting to send people um, to try and catch him and bring him in. And no one can. And so as with like divine timing, I guess, um, for both the Buddha and his mother go out to try and find him in the wilderness once the, they eventually figure out that it's actually him. Um, and the um, man, I can't um, I can't remember who finds him first, but. Eventually, uh, the Buddha and his mother find him, and uh, his mother's able to calm him down enough to have a conversation, and the Buddha asks him um, to destroy a branch. So the guy destroys a branch very easily, and he says, now put it back together. And in, in that Buddhist, dour sort of way where it's just so mundane and simple, the, the eloquence is in the simplicity, um, he tells Angulimala that you know, all he's good for is destroying. And he could never create anything. He can't put anything back together. And he's useless for that reason. And he says, but you don't have to be. And you should follow me. And you know, just just the poignance of the simplicity sort of broke the man. And he ended up, you know, following the Buddha devoutly after that. And there's stories afterwards where, you know, he's he goes about with the Buddha on his business. And you know, this guy, uh, Angulimala is revered in Buddhism now. Um, and part of his penance, this is, this is sort of, you know, like the epilogue that adds a lot to the, uh, the fascination of it. Um, it was said that when he would go uh, with the Buddha, you know, throughout the city and wherever he went, the people would tor- like heckle him. You know, they would beat him, they would throw things at him, they would make him, you know, they'd just like shove his face around and and throw rocks at him. They would really try to torture the guy as much as they possibly could in the instances that he was around. And he took it. He just took it because that was part of his karma and that was part of his, his debt. And 
Um, and he learned from it. And I, I just think that every, and I also encourage people if they're interested in the story to go read it because, you know, I tried to tell it as fast and briefly as possible and all the little details and all these ancient stories, you know, packed full of symbolism. That's where, that's where you get the most richness from it. But, um, I mean, that's the gist of the story. And it's a shame that, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful story and it's one that's, you know, that tells, you know, it shows that even monsters are human beings on some level and that redemption is always possible. But I will admit it doesn't usually shape up like that in real life. I think that most of these people, you know, especially if we're talking about like the serial killer archetype are pretty irredeemable. Like I don't think, you know, and, and, but that's the thing is none of them seem to want rehabilitation. Um, I, well, I psychopaths, level. yeah, psychopaths tend not to have the emotional capacity to to feel and to recognize those things. But perhaps somebody, right. somebody that uh, made a conscious decision, somebody who recognized they made a mistake, it might not be that they are able to be saved in the eyes of the average person. But you know, internally, obviously, I think that you know people can find that salvation internally uh, in that way. Yeah, and. And more and more people, you know, with everything we understand about psychology these days, we're having to understand that even some of the worst, most heinous people are humans. And yes, there's some sort of deviation, you know, oftentimes with, you know, levels of brain matter and how the brain functions. So you could almost say that they're like, you know, they're still humans, but there's enough to show that they aren't exactly quite like us in certain cases. The fact of the matter is most of people um, are, are doing these things because they don't know what else to do. You know, people, you know, have been abused and, you know, their whole lives and, and more and more we have to just simply understand that people you know, monsters are made from human beings and and the same human beings we are. And, you know, in that, that union sense that Jordan Peterson's kind of given a due resurgence to, you know, it, the, the motif that there is, unfortunately, you know, it's not something that should be uh, revered, but there's something like an Auschwitz concentration camp guard inside of us all. You know, someone that's just willing to be complicit, you know, just to go along with things because they don't want to rock the boat whatever be the case. And we all have a sort of existential responsibility to quell those things and to work with the shadow to understand ourselves as best we can, because, you know, just from a natural standpoint, we'll never be rid of the shadow. There's always going to be things we don't understand about ourselves and the world around us. But having a relationship with that is the most, is the most important thing. Like having a working, um, you know, you, 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 you you can't just ignore aspects of your own psyche. Well, again, back to the thinking everything is positive, nothing is negative. You have no context, exactly. no perspective. So exploring the shadow, thinking about Halloween, thinking about the reason we do the things that we do. If we look back, for example, Anthony, on ancient civilization, we find monuments, we find megalithic structures, monolithic structures, we find artifacts that that are, I mean, completely out of place. I mean, they're even out of place in contemporary times. They seem so advanced. 
So we see all this amazing history, and that's the material, that's the physical. That's engineering, it's mathematics, it's science, and, and we just don't understand where these things came from. So we usually reduce them to, well, it must be aliens, or we just you know throw it out like the Smithsonian tends to do, at least reportedly. So we throw it out or we just attribute it to aliens. We don't attribute it to human uh, creativity and, and, and design and ability and adaptation, etc. But then when you look internally, we don't have the same megalithic, monolithic structures, the same artifacts, but we do have things that are equally, if not more impressive in that of certain types of texts and stories and myths that I think indicate more than any amazing pyramidal structure or temple or the Antikythera device, which is basically a computer in Greek times. It shows us that humans in those days, whether that was 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 6,000, 10,000, 100,000 years ago, certainly had a complex understanding and a very, very direct relationship with that inner self. Now, maybe not the average person, uh, who couldn't read or write, something that even in the 20th century is, is a relatively new thing that more than half the planet statistically is not illiterate anymore. But priestly, priestly classes, wealthy people, people that were paid by wealthy people to do these types of studies, uh, philosophers, scientists, philanthropists, again, hundreds or thousands of years ago, and people focused in those days on having uh, a relationship with that inner self. This is where a lot of our stories of magic and alchemy come from. And we see them as, as insane. Like, let me give you an example. We have the idea of alchemy and people interpret alchemy in a lot of ways. But when you think of alchemy and you read some of these old stories, like I'm sure you've read some of these stories where they talk about putting, you know, material in a bottle and then burying the bottle in like horse or cow manure and then letting it putrefy. And, and that just sounds like, why am I putting a bottle with you know chemicals into a pile of horse crap? That doesn't make any sense. These people were stupid. But no, it actually makes a lot of sense when you understand symbolically the the, the manure or the 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 the, the rich uh, fecal matter is the breakdown of the human body. And when you put the right elements in the human body, I'm not talking about food and drink, but when you put the right things into the body into the mind, then you create an environment by which you can be reborn in the Christian sense, and that creates the body is the vessel, the bottle, and that creates the little man or the little person inside of you. And when you start to listen to that little person, that little voice, you start to recognize that there are patterns and that there are things in nature that are pulling you in a specific, in a, in a particular direction. And then you have this realization, you have this revelation which I think, you know, if you read uh, the Bible and you read some esotericists, Anthony, they suggest, Alan Watts suggested this, that, that the second coming of Christ is an individual experience that you have when you have that revelation, when you recognize your awareness, when you recognize uh, the knowing of thyself, etc. So that is alchemy, that's transmutation, that's transformation. And part of the way that we achieve that is through aligning ourselves with natural things, which again goes back to all of these traditions for Halloween, for Christmas. Some of them are superstitious in the sense that we just don't know the origin, but a lot of them make a lot of sense. It makes a lot more sense than just hanging a skeleton on the wall because it's Halloween. There's a reason we used to do these things, and they usually have to do with death and life and cycles and transformation. Our human ancestors were 
certainly much more advanced spiritually, I think, than even the most spiritual uh, 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 individual today. Maybe that's a huge, uh, huge statement, but just the idea of what I'm saying, does that make sense? Do you agree, disagree? Absolutely. Um, I, I would completely agree with that. Um, I like the metaphor, the, the, the example of uh, the manure and the bottle, um, you know, doing things like that. You know, I'm, first of all, I'm a, I have a mystical mind. I guess you would call me a mystic in the sense that I think that um, there are things, you know, beyond our perception that can have, you know, immediate implications in our life, um, you know, divine things. And I think that more often than not, you know, it's not to say that people can't help you, um, but more often than not, you are going to get your best, um, insight into those kinds of aspects of life through your own direct experience instead of uh, going to church every Sunday or something like that and doing things that are, I don't know what's the best way to put it, like just really left field, something that like burying a bottle and some manure is the reason you're doing that is because it sort of like symbolically shocking. It's something that's going to stick in your, in your mind and it's something that your mind is going to parse through, you know, whether you do it um, like consciously or not. And, right, right. You know, that's memetics. That that's tinkering with the archetypes of your mind, and that's that's what real magic is. What it boils down to, it's that's you know using. You know, some people will call it neuro linguistic programming, and that gets down a different field that is. Um, but I, the, the core essence of using symbols in in ways that are a bit outside the box in order to catalyze um, ideas, maybe new habits, uh, you know, and so forth in your own psyche. I mean, that is it's everything right there. That's what the esotericists have been studying all this time. Um, and to you know, someone like you and I, it's not a question of whether or not those processes happen. It's narrowing down the processes and trying to understand them better uh, from a more, you know, dare I say, even scientific point of view. So do you think that there is a, is it just a direct or is it the complete result? When we look at uh, the traditions and the changing of the seasons and things like that, the lifting of the veil, is there a, a direct or an indirect relationship with uh, the microcosm that is the body? in regard to the macrocosm, which is nature, are all of these ideas like the resurrection, the second coming, uh, the horses of the apocalypse, uh, the lifting of the veil, are all of these things a result of how we interact with nature and how we try to pass information down from generation to generation, like by story form? Like We're not talking about four horses, actually, like four people on horses, it's a metaphor. It's symbolic. I mean, I think they represent the four uh, seasons. Um, but do you think that there's a relationship there between you know these ideas, or is this where the idea comes from? It's it's extracting this from the natural environment, turning it into story, and trying to understand it and interpret it in ways that make more sense to us. That you know they're not really scientific, uh, even though we do observe, and that is science. Uh, they're more psychological. Uh, does that make sense, uh, this relationship with man and nature? And that's, I think that's what we're trying to do with religion and science and everything. 
and, and we tell these stories, but um, they have a much deeper meaning. Yeah, well, I think you're right on the money with it. And I think that, you know, in some sense, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, I'm just a snowball effect of both, regardless of which one came first in terms of, you know, did um, human beings create stories that lasted so long they helped shape our perception of the world around us or vice versa did is and honestly i'm more inclined even though it, i i would certainly say it's a bit of both especially in this case um you know astrology in mind um i definitely think it is more so us being so heavily impacted by the environment around us that it finds its way into the stories because that's how we you know, that's the heuristic method. It's, uh, it's human beings, like you exactly said, trying to wrap their head around processes that they don't understand, but they can observe. So if they just kind of start spitballing, you know, um, they can eventually steamroll into some sort of veiled understanding. Um, and that's, you know, that definition right there encompasses a lot of um, religious thought as we know it today, as far as I'm concerned. So, um, you know, I absolutely think it's important to, and, and it's unfortunate that all those things are lost. You know, people would do, you know, those understandings are lost. People would do well to understand that, you know, astrology is not a newspaper horoscope. It's actually found all throughout the Bible, you know, just as one example. So, and, is, so is dream interpretation. No doubt. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, um, yeah, just certainly some people like to use Halloween as, you know, some sort of death worship, you know, there's, there's people, there's misanthropists out there, most definitely, you know, people who just hate people for, for the hell of it. Um, but you know, something like Halloween, especially now more than ever, you know, it's that time for. <laughs> it's it's in many ways like the counterculture holiday. You know, even the people, most people <laughs> tend to enjoy Christmas and Halloween, and a lot of people like Thanksgiving too. But um, Christmas and Halloween, like it seems like most people really enjoy that. And the, but then there's a, a sizable portion of people that loathe Christmas just because they hate all the fakeness and the stupid pageantry. I've been there before. I don't I I don't mind it because my symbolic mind appreciate the uh that's the, where the that's where i am tradition. too now I, I used to feel the right. same way but I'm, I'm there now too i can appreciate it for those reasons yeah amen i think that's a good way to be um but also don't fall for the phoniness of it but you know so for that reason it's almost like for the same reason that people again they go hand in hand but for the same reason people are sort of like levee satanists just because they're tired of christianity and they want to be counterculture and and piss Christians off, you know, people embrace Halloween and, you know, it's that, it, 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 it has so much of that like punk rock mentality involved in it, which you find so much in horror movies. You know, people love a good DIY horror movie. You're and so, overlook a lot. I was going to say, I was going to say you're so right. I've never thought that, but it is a, it is the counterculture holiday or at least that's what it's turned into. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that is, um, it seems healthy to me and, you know, more than anything, um, you know, whether, you know, beyond 
diagnosis, uh, I think it's just interesting to observe, like in the same way that people have clung on to true crime now, because this isn't the first true crime obsession wave, but this is definitely the most recent and we're in one right now. And, and I think just in general, people, it seems, have become more and more fascinated with the darkness. And um, yeah, and, and I, I, I think it shows like maybe I'm drawing, maybe there's more to it, but I think you could at least point to the dawn of the internet and people just having so much access to all these kinds of inform, all, you know, different kinds of information um, it's made people sort of come, you know, come to terms face to face with their shadow a bit more in the projection process of, of the human being. Well, it's almost, know, the internet, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that uh, the internet in many ways, I, I'm pretty certain uh, Terrence McKenna was the first one to have this sort of train of thought, but like the internet as the Oracle, um, and I kind of I see the internet, you know, archetypally, like it's not a direct equivalent per se, but kind of like a Ouija board too, right? Like you're typing in letters, you don't know who's on the other side. It's, it's, uh, it's non-physical, like you can go it's to a black, all these It's a black places. mirror you, you, you scry into. Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, and I think that we've all started dabbling with, you know, you want to call it technomancy or something, but like the mat, like the esoteric implications of the internet and look at what it's done. It's created um, a true crime obsession. It's created conspiracy theory, like the wrong kinds of obsessions, you know, the, cause we should all be informed about the things the government is doing behind our backs, but we shouldn't go down rabbit holes that are unsubstantiated that's for sure well, a lot of well a lot of that stuff is controlled i just did a show on this last week a lot of this stuff is controlled by intelligence agencies whether it's the military yeah. or got the government itself that's you know separate from the military sort of uh, or corporations that decide to work with government work with intelligence agencies big think tanks etc and that's all I mean, I mean, what did Sean Parker say? Sean Parker, who was uh, one of the, what was he the founder of? I forget what he founded. Um, I remember the quote, though. Sean Parker said that Facebook was, um, it was designed to be basically a, uh, to exploit a, uh, what did he say, a vulnerability in human psychology. Right. Uh, he, he, I think he ran Napster, but he was one of the executives and the presidents for Facebook. Yeah, he said it was designed to exploit a vulnerability in human psychology. It's all based on psychology from Bernays to Zuckerberg. No doubt, 100%. They hired Ivy League uh, psychoanalysts and psychiatrists to help design social media apps, like especially Facebook. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's no question. Uh, and um, Anthony, they've acknowledged that too. Not that we're going off into a technological discussion here, but that's been acknowledged that Facebook has run experiments, social experiments on their users. Um, and then regardless of what you, know, you personally, Anthony, or any other listener thinks of COVID-19, uh, the World Economic Forum published a paper that said that lockdowns were completely intended to be a psychological experiment. They were bragging about it. I mean, the whole thing, everything that happens, it seems like that gets all the attention, all of the focus. It's all based on psychology to see how people react. It's exploiting that fragile inner human and using it to, I mean, in regard to the internet and all that stuff you're talking about, I feel, and we'll talk about this when we come back from break, there's darker intention to suppress duality, to promote the negative by corrupting the positive positive. 
and to basically incarnate and invoke the shadow. And I think that is um, a unique way to look at demonic, um, at demonic invocation. Uh, it's like we're all making a Faustian bargain, but it's with that internal part of ourselves. And in suppressing the, posit- uh, the, the negative, we are, we're actually suppressing the positive. We have no context to one or the other. And that's a really, really dangerous thing. We're going to get Anthony's take on all of this and more when we come back from break. Anthony, where can people find the books real quick? Um, you can go to my website, divemind.net, and find links to chats I've done, to excerpts from my books, and links to get either of them. All right, sounds good. Anthony Tyler, our guest this evening on The Secret Teachings. Please leave us a review on a podcast, radio, player, app, wherever you're listening. Check us out at thesecretteachings.info. That's www.thesecretteachings.info. And email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. Grab a book, subscribe, keep us on air Monday through Friday. More after this. Don't go anywhere. Anthony Tyler with us when we come back. Broadcasting from somewhere between heaven, hell, and purgatory. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Release the Kraken! You are listening to The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info if you enjoy the secret teachings and want to hold years of ryan's research in your hands grab a physical and digital copy of his books occult arcana will introduce you to sacred myths folklore and alchemy the technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and ai to black goo and ufos Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. Visit thesecretteachings.info. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even in the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. If you'd like to hear more of The Secret Teachings, if you missed a show or part of a show, sign up to the ever-expanding archive at thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe for a month or a year, you get access to the full show archive to every show after it airs. You can download and stream unlimited episodes and share your login with friends or family. With your subscription, you can also get access on the website to all of Ryan's digital books and the ever-growing montage archive. Just visit thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donate Subscribe tab at the top of the page. Use the secure PayPal link and start your membership today. By subscribing, you support The Secret Teachings, Ryan, and yourself. 
Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows. Keep listening with your host, Ryan Gable. Think about your hero when you're at ground zero and crawl up to the fall up back to me. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of the secret teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Mark Passio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. are tuned into the secret teachings radio and i am your host ryan gable anthony tyler is my guest this evening he's the author of a couple of books the dive manual empirical investigations of mysticism you can check that out on amazon and anthony are there any other places listeners can get the books or is that the only place that is unfortunately the only place at the moment all right understood so dive manual (laughs) That's where you can get it. Anthony Tyler, our guest. Shadows of the Holly or Holy Days, the shadow self of the individual. I'm thinking about the lifting of the veil. And I think, Anthony, that the lifting of the veil is the apocalypse. I think the apocalypse happens every year. It's the thinning of the veil between the physical and the spiritual. I think the four horses of the apocalypse trample on the earth Every single season, the fall is black. The winter is, of course, cold and dark, like Dante described hell. So it's hell. It's the pale horse. Then we have the white horse, which Buddha rode. The white horse often associated with Christ or other solar deities, the white horse and the sun, and then the red horse, which is the summertime. So the horses are trampling on the earth. The horses are riding on the earth. The apocalypse is the great unveiling, the lifting of the veil. And things like alchemy is really the transformation of the inner self, the little voice that you hear, the little person, the homunculus. These are different ways that I look at subjects that, for a lot of people, it's scary to think about the end times and the apocalypse and the biblical Armageddon. But I think it's all really within everyday, natural, seasonal, cyclical experiences. And I don't find that to be negative, but I think that when we suppress things like what we consider to be negativity, which is extremely, extremely relative to certain people, we actually suppress the positive. And and we do that because we don't have any context. Once we get rid of the negative, what we think is negative, we have nothing to compare the positive to. So this basically, I think, invokes an uncontrollable emotional state. This invokes the shadow. And I think that there are dark intentions, which is what Sean Parker said about Facebook, even that it was created to basically exploit a vulnerability in human psychology. We know that psychology is one of the main driving forces of everything from marketing to politics. Humans are being manipulated through these darker intentions. And I think it goes right down to that shadow self. That's the demon that is being invoked. That is the demon that is being uh, provoked. And perhaps this is why and maybe it's just media attention, but this is why it feels that people are losing their minds because the shadow is being pulled out 
and the conscious self is being suppressed. Does that make sense? Do you have any comments or thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot to that. And, um, to unpack that a little bit, I would say that I'm, I'm a big proponent of like that Eastern mentality, you know, specifically that Buddhist middle path. I think that, you know, and, and even in that alchemical sense, uh, of reconciliation of opposites is, um, and finding that middle path is the best approach because, um, you know, it's going too far. I think that that is the, the biggest tool of suppression, if you want to put it like that. Um, because you know, yeah, it's certainly intentional on one level or another. Um, uh, but feeding everyone the dichotomy and now there is a dichotomy. There's a duality that we can't escape in this existence. Um, at least not, uh, not consistently. Um, but the, 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 the black and white mentality of, um, that is sold is very much that sort of Judeo Christian mentality. Um, and, I think that's a lot of that's a lot of that's based also on like Persian uh, religious or uh, theological tradition. The idea of like the, the the extremes of black and white, darkness and and light. At least I've read that before. It's it's based on those Persian religions, right? Yeah, certainly. And it's a it's a nuanced perspective. I I, I guess because it's not even that. I think that the emphasis of the extremes symbolically um, isn't useful. Those are most certainly useful, you know, just the, the classic yin and yang to boil it down to its, uh, its easiest terms. But um, the idea that there is no flow between the two, that there is a rigid barrier and that you should never step onto the other side because people, people have good and evil as, as like the top of this umbrella where everything branches down from. And I think that that's a huge misconception um, you know, positive and negative do not equal good and evil. Um, right and wrong don't even equal good and evil. They can. All these things have sort of, you know, like a Venn diagram to them. But, you know, I think that just just those words and the misuse of them alone um, is, a, is a starting point for a lot of issues that we have in our society. Um, uh, first off, how, how damn detrimental is it to consider right and wrong to be the same as good and evil? You know, because right and wrong doesn't just mean socially. That means actually as well. You know, it means critically. Uh, the subconscious mind doesn't deviate from these things or, uh, you know, specify definitions like that nearly as much as our conscious mind does. And our conscious mind doesn't even do it as much as it should probably. So I think that equating these things unequivocally is a huge problem because then people think that being wrong is some sort of slippery slope to eventually being evil. And in so many cases, it couldn't be the more opposite. And, and, and again, it's like the middle path, because if you're focusing on the negative all the time, you're just going to be engulfed by it. And that's why you know, if you stare at the abyss, the abyss will stare back. It will. And so that it's all that about that alchemical process, working with these things to purify them and understanding how to purify them so that you're not just feeling around in the dark. That's a scary place. This is why Jesus was crucified between two thieves, and Jesus is the middle path or the middle pillar. It's why the priestess sets between the two pillars, balance, objectivity, to the best of your ability. That might not be the best word, but balance. 
Uh, I completely, okay. uh, completely agree with you, Anthony. So how do you, how do you see then from that perspective, how do the images of Halloween, how do they affect the subconscious? Because for a lot of people, they interpret skeletons and haunted houses as being evil. For other people, they might, you know, use those images uh, or interpret those images as positive symbols of death because some people really do worship death. But uh, generally speaking, maybe even genetically speaking, we have always used these images as memento mori to remind us that death is around the corner and we should use the, uh, the time, use those images, use that time we have to do something for our brothers and sisters, to do something for humanity, to leave something better behind for the next generation. Now, that's a Freemasonic point of view. Yes, there are evil people in masonry, but the Masons use a skeleton in a coffin for that reason. Uh, and even LaVey, even Anton LaVey had said, I, I listened to an interview he did, even he said that the, 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 the Satanists tend to use the skeleton for the same reason the Templars use the skeleton, the Masons, because it's memento mori. It's not that they worship death, but that they respect it. And in honoring the, the dead, um, you're really honoring life. You're not honoring death. You're honoring life, the people that passed on who, who once were alive. And, and that, I mean, that might not be, you know, the, the entirety of what LaVey believed, but just that idea, um, it's very similar to, again, the Templars and the Freemasons and, you know, all of human uh, history has been filled with these ideas that you use these images, which today are, today are images of Satanism, use these images, they're actually images of, of venerating life rather than death. Yeah, actually, <clears throat> I have a personal story that pertains to this pretty well. Um, um, and sort of, and it will answer your question as well, uh, in terms of how I view these things. Um, and it wasn't uh, for Halloween. It was actually for, uh, my birthday, February 22nd this year. Uh, I was in New Orleans and, uh, all, you know, there was a handful of different things we did on that day. We stayed for a few days there, but, um, the thing that was most, uh, memorable other than the company I had was uh, going to the Museum of Death. And, you know, we had a nice uh, breakfast. We had a, uh, it, was, it was a brunch actually. And I, um, I smoked a little bit of weed. I had a Bloody Mary and I may have even had just a little bit of uh, some mushroom chocolate. So yeah, I was deliberately trying to get loose almost in, again, I, you know, I'm not trying to, um, uh, like may uh romanticize too much i was just cutting up a little bit having fun but almost in like a like a, a dionysian sort of way um because what i was about to do was go to this museum of death and what i wanted to do was pay respect you know because i don't worship death but i certainly revere it um because i think that in order to understand life itself we have to understand death and the implications of it um uh, because the more I think that the more we try to wrestle psychologically with the concept of death, the more informed life we live, honestly. And I mean, at this museum of death, for anyone that doesn't know, you should definitely try and check it out unless you have a weak stomach because they don't pull any punches. So you go in, you enter the museum and it starts out with like, you see the skeleton of this giant crocodile um, eating a skeleton of a human being, and they have all sorts of things. They had um, mummy cloth from an Egyptian pyramid priest in there. Um, they had um, they had 
handwritten notes by serial killers. Um, they had, you know, artwork by serial killers. Um, they, I saw um, a painting, you know, like one of those courtroom paintings, except this is uh, an execution painting of Ted Bundy in the electrocution chair. You know, just stuff like so that. So very, very, very morbid. You said this was in New Orleans? This is in New Orleans, yeah. And um, it is, yeah, it is very morbid. Um, and But the whole premise is not to glorify it. Um, and in fact, by the end of it, um, when you exit the museum, they, uh, I don't know if this is how they greet everybody, but this is how they greeted me on the exit. They said, thank you for coming to the Museum of Death. Now go enjoy your life. You know, because that's the whole point. Um, and for me, I didn't, um, I, you know, I, I took some intoxicants to sort of have fun for my birthday and to also loosen up because I wanted to take the experience seriously. And, you know, I kind of got to a point in my mind where I felt like I could really, um, you, you just, you know, on a quicker level, you try, if you get to that point where you're loosened up, at least for me, um, with certain intoxicants and you're not like messed up, you know, things just loosen up and you feel more comfortable having, um, uncomfortable thoughts. And by the end of it, you have some uncomfortable thoughts like, man, all this death, this could happen at any moment. Um, you know, there's, there's a mummy over here and uh, there's a mortician table over there. And all it did in the long run, it didn't ruin my day whatsoever. I felt so damn thankful. And that's that. Yeah. That's, think, the, that's the point. Yes. To feel thankful for life. That's why we venerate. I mean, that's why you bring trees into the home and during Christmas. That's why we bring you know, the jack-o'-lantern or the gourd or whatever it is we carve out. The tradition is a turnip. Uh, we bring that onto our porch to light the way. These are positive things that are supposed to make us uh, uh, appreciate nature, know that life is going to return when the cycle uh, completes itself. Absolutely, yeah. And and at its best, if you're considering it from that sort of, you know, going into the darkness, bringing the light in, so to speak, symbolically, um, I think it's, um, as long as you keep the trajectory you know, it can only be useful and helpful to you to leave a better, more, more loving life. Um, it's only when you, you know, abandon altruism and, and, and you know, the proverbial light, you know, because mm -hmm. it's very easy. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, cause I know you, you surely get this Ryan, but even just to any listeners, like, it's not like I'm, uh, prescribing a steady diet of nothing, but like, heavy metal and true crime <laughs> limits everything. Like you need to, um, uh, you can definitely overindulge and just desensitize yourself. Um, and those are things that, you know, everybody should avoid. And, um, you know, but all the same, um, yeah, it's that middle path because avoiding one aspect of the spectrum is just going to leave you completely imbalanced. Again, I completely agree with you about balance, and we can apply that to pretty much anything we discuss, uh, almost any subject, especially esoteric occult subjects. So going back to Halloween, going back to the shadow, you have the, the shadow world, if you will, becoming aligned with the physical and the veil that lifts between them. You have the spirits, our ancestors believed, that would come across that line and 
we would wear costumes to welcome them or you'd have evil spirits and we wore costumes to frighten them and push them back into the other world. Uh, what do you make of the idea that uh, the Halloween time, Samhain, Samhain, after Maybon, the fall equinox, what do you make about this time being kind of like the apocalypse? It's the great unveiling. It, it happens every year. It's not a, an event that's coming in the future with nuclear weapons or, you know, guillotines like uh, that. What was that, uh, that book series uh, left behind? Uh, it's more like it's more like a a transformation of nature. What do you think about the apocalypse, unveiling, lifting of the veil, Halloween? Now you're just making me wonder what Kirk Cameron would say about all this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real, um, you know, I think they, I think that you're absolutely spot on, and I think that um, that the yeah, uh, understanding the idea of and, and the, like even the etymology of the apocalypse, it really does epitomize our conceptions of death and just the end in general. Um, the end, it, it, it should be revered. Um, and, um, you know, I think it's unfortunate that, uh, that things have uh, become so lost in translation. You know, there's one thing, it, it, it's certainly one thing to have your own interpretation. You know, every person is entitled to that, but uh, these texts have been so bastardized. Um, people don't even understand what they're even reading or what they're worshiping anymore. And um, I, yeah, it's just so much of today. You talk about like obfuscating and suppressing um, the full spectrum. Uh, so much of today very much feels like just, you know, in, in American culture to narrow it down a little bit, feels so, so much an embodiment of that Gnostic demiurge, um, you know, just, just take, 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 you know, it's that narcissistic, egotistical mentality. And um, I think that if you don't take times to ritualize sort of, uh, and what's a good way to put it? Like, the destruction of the ego, you know, not permanently, but a real humiliation in a way, a psychological, just, you know, an emperor with no clothes sort of mentality. Like we all have to, we all have to be able to um, view and conceptualize ourselves in that way. Otherwise, the, you know, if you are not able to lasso your own shadow then it's just going to run rampant in the projections around you. And that's why you see someone undeveloped um, psychologically, someone with trauma, you know, like let's just give easy examples. You know, someone who was abused in any particular way by their parents um, without consciously realizing does that again to their children or their spouses. Um, easy example. Like the more you look at it, you'll find it everywhere. If you leave your shadow unattended, it will find its way out and it will just overtake you. Um, so, so truly like in an undeniable way, so undeniable, I can't fathom how anyone is sold on any other ideas. The avoidance of the shadow is the most evil, destructive thing you could do. Um, and, and evil, you know, if we're talking about Halloween and all that in the shadow, we brought it up a couple times, but I think that that is a good point to unpack a little bit because certainly from the human perspective, evil is a very present thing and it should not be ignored. Uh, but you know, there's two schools of thought. There's either 
is evil a thing? Uh, is it some sort of platonic ideal that's handed down or is it purely man-made? Um, and, you know, I think that both of those are just so very limiting. Um, clearly, evil is a scale, you know, and, and, and sometimes that scale goes culture to culture. But I think that nature is just an easy example. And people get shy, they get sheepish about it because they don't want to equate humans to animals sometimes, uh, which is silly. Um, you're not losing anything by that making that equation. Um, in fact, you're gaining quite a bit. But agree. Um, I think, yeah, I think that um, even metaphysical evil. I would go so far as to say that it is still only evil to the human perspective. Uh, very much in that Lovecraftian sense. Um, you know, many of these things, whatever it is out there. You know, we could leave it open ended to your personal beliefs because no one really knows. Uh, you know, you, the, the listeners, anyone in general. Um, what, you know, is it really so much different than the uh, the lion to the elk or the antelope or whatever? It, these things. Um, it, it's it's kind of like the Hellraiser, hell you know, uh, Clive Barker's idea of the Cenobite. Um, you know, to tie it into some Halloween um, mentality. The, the idea of the Cenobite, you know, you, you solve, I don't know how familiar you are with the story, Ryan, but you solve the, um, the little cube. I can't even remember what it's called, honestly. And uh, once you solve that, it becomes this sort of Aleister Crowley-style um, gateway to have these demons come and they, they promise you all these sensations, but all this sensation, and it's all sort of tied with sex and pleasure, all these people searching out this artifact are trying to find the limits of pleasure and sensation. And these demons come with chains and they represent in these archetypal ways um, aspects of torture. They embody it like pinhead. He's got the pins in his head. People are flayed and things. And um, you get stuck in this infinite loop of sensation, but it's not the kind that you want. But the point here is um, the Cenobites in the lore are not devils. Um, they are explorers of nether regions if anything they're like extra dimensional aliens or something and from their perspective they explore consciousness like we would explore the habits of a lab rat mm-hmm. it's all the scale you know and and they're not evil um and if it is and when you hear their uh some of their perspectives then that's part of the intrigue and why hellraiser has been such a surviving storyline despite terrible sequels is because of that because the implications are confusing and 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 the point there is not to say that those things aren't evil to us they are certainly evil we should not be worshiping or deifying those things at all but again it's scale and i think if you lose that uh and you just start looking you just it you start making evil the difference between a simple line in the sand you know, that's where you become the evil one more often than not. When I'm looking at the wheel of the year and I see the turning of the wheel, obviously I think of the sun, I think of nature, and I think of the history of humanity putting themselves into rituals, into dances, etc., where they believe mm-hmm. that they are becoming one with nature, uh, not in a new age of Sedona, Arizona way, uh, not that maybe that maybe that works. I don't know. But, you know, you're becoming one with nature. You're connecting with uh, energetic flows. I mean, quick, quick example is like when I prepare a radio show, if I prepare a lot, 
I don't think the show's as good, but if I just let the energy take me, I think the show usually turns out better. The same thing with writing books. I don't know if you've experienced that. It's, it's the higher self. It's something guiding you. Uh, I mean, it's the simplest proof of something beyond the physical. But when you talk about Hellraiser, uh, when I think of the cube, I, I also think of Borg, but, I, but I, I tend to think of Saturn and I think of the material world. Uh, and the world yeah. in and of itself is a cube. So all the things, the pleasure and the pain and the suffering, all of that is, I mean, I, I've actually not, uh, I've not seen Hellraiser. I think I saw it one time, so I've not seen it more than once, but I don't remember it that well. But th- but that idea is is uh, very, very, I, w- I want to say sacred, at least very esoteric and occult idea. It's not just mm-hmm. a random cube. It, it, it has a very deep, significant meaning uh, of the human conscious and subconscious and it all relates to uh, the underlying um, structure of the physical world that we live in where we experience uh, you know the pain and the pleasure and how do you really know pain without pleasure how do you know pleasure without pain etc but anyway my point is I'm, I'm thinking of the cube in, in regard to the the physical world that's why uh, like if you look at most tarot decks Anthony I'm, I'm sure you've seen this you've noticed this you see the devil holding the torch as Manly P. Hall said downward to illuminate the infernal and he is sitting on top of a black cube with two humans, male and female, attached and chained to the material world. That's, that's the cube in the esoteric uh, terminology. Uh, just a, a, a series of thoughts, but I find that interesting. Damn, nice cherry on top there. Yeah, very well said. That's, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, it, you know, going along with just, the, the general train of thought we've had and um, it, it's very strange today that um, um, like specifically like just American religion, you know, not exclusively Christianity, but particularly um, has become so extreme naturally, you know, it's so divided. There are so many different denominations, but it seems like all of them are are just completely bent on being the, the superior. And it's, it, it's, again, that sort of, that, that strange demiurge quality. And I think that everything um, that Halloween sort of represents is the deterioration of that. Um, Certainly, and, and yeah. I, yeah, I think we live in a stranglehold of that now more than ever where, um, I don't think people look at being a good person as a constant daily effort. I think most people have this strange misconception uh, that once you do a certain number of good things, like you've earned your points, and then you're just good from there, and you don't have to worry about it. And because that really seems to be the most predominant Christian mentality. Uh, that I see today. I have family members that are Christian. I was raised Protestant. We're going to have to take um, a we're going to take a break. We can we can come back to this. I also wanted to mention in terms of weight and balance, uh, balanced path. Uh, the black horse of the uh, apocalypse, the black horse of Revelation, also carries the uh, scales, just like Anubis or Santa Morte. Another connection, another synchronicity. Anthony Tyler, our guest this evening. This is the Secret Teachings. More after this. Don't go anywhere. One segment coming up tonight. You don't want to miss it. listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo. 
yahoo.com. Hey, this is John Peasy at johnpeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teachings. So it's taken months, but my new book, Liberty Shrugged, is finally available. Nearly 700 pages with archived images. It will leave you fascinated and wanting more. See, hatred for America and the Constitution is based on misconceptions of history and the rule of law. Charges of racism, sexism, and bigotry don't hold up to history in context. They stem from nullifiers who wanted to replace the Constitution and maintain hierarchy, as with the Confederate Constitution, which aimed to preserve the institution of slavery. But racism was not the foundation of that institution. It was a final justification to defend an institution which had existed forever and for which Western civilization and colonialism was actually taking steps to end. Africans and Arabs organized slave trading far exceeding anything in the Atlantic, and some continue to this day. Also, a woman's role in household duties was as systemic as a man's role in the legislature or on the battlefield. Indian tribes, when they weren't at war with one another, were choosing sides with the Europeans. See, we can't address history from the air-conditioned seats of a progressive university and pass judgments on men, women, and events that we know nothing about. My book, Liberty Shrugged, attempts to dispel countless historical, cultural, and social myths in order to find an objective understanding of history, the present, and the future. It's Liberty Shrugged at www.thesecretteachings.info. I hope you'll get a copy today for yourself, for your friends, for your family. I think you'll really enjoy it. If anyone can hear this broadcast, I'm still on Earth. This is the frequency of Ground Zero Radio, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, and The Secret Teachings with myself, Brian Gable. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence, David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Thanks, Ryan. This is David Knight with thedavidknightshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Anthony Tyler is my guest tonight on The Secret Teachings. You'll be able to listen to this show, if you're not already, in the Secret Teachings Archive on the website or one of the many radio and podcast players. Don't forget to subscribe to The Secret Teachings. You get access to the ad-free show, the montages, my digital books to read and download, and a private RSS feed. When you subscribe or buy one of the books, you support us and keep us on air. I know you hear that during the breaks as well, but sometimes it's good to also verbalize it myself. SecretTeachings.info, rdgable at yahoo.com. I'd like to thank all of you for staying with us tonight, early into the morning, late into the night, maybe into the afternoon, wherever you're listening around the world. And I want to thank all of you for coming over 
from ground zero to the secret teachings tonight. Really appreciate you giving us a chance. Again, Anthony Tyler is my guest this evening. He's written a couple of books, and Anthony knows quite a bit about the subconscious and about the shadow, and that's why I wanted to have him on tonight to discuss those things and their relationship with the lifting of the veil and the month of Halloween and souls and spirits and ghosts and goblins and ghouls and all the things that frighten us and scare us. So many of the things that we look at and we interact with and we watch and all the symbols of Halloween, Anthony, really are memento mori. They're reminders of the fragility of life. And they don't have, I believe, in most cases, uh, the intention behind them uh, to be symbols of worship, de- uh, worshiping death. They are symbols of uh, essentially worshiping life. And it's kind of similar mm-hmm. Kind of similar to what you said earlier, because you were saying that, you know, when you talk about negative and positive and you get rid of the negative and everything's positive all the time, you don't really have the context or the perspective to understand what positive is. So getting rid of the so-called negative, the relative negative actually reinforces the negative because it corrupts the positive, And that is a very dark and demonic thing, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And I was talking about before the break, um, how I think that the Abrahamic religious mentality has done a lot, um, not in its, not in its inception, but in its practice and the telephone game that has developed throughout history. Uh, so like a huge disservice to understanding the light and the dark and, um, you know, making things far too black and white without any, um, any synergy at all, if you will. Um, and that's not to dissuade anyone from any of their current beliefs. That's just to um, suggest that no one takes anything at face value, especially not religious symbolism. Um, and, you know, the more, the less doubt you have about yourself, the more I think that uh, you probably need therapy or something equivalent thereof. Um, because it's not a matter of having the right answer. It's a matter of like evolutionarily having doubt. If you do not have doubt on some level, then something is wrong with you. I mean, we all, you know, it's good to be confident in yourself and we need to be able to have phases where, you know, we can get into a zone and feel and have no doubt in that moment. But if you're stuck in that phase, something is seriously wrong. Um, And, you know, I guess it's pretty paradoxical because why would a person ever doubt themselves at that point? But I mean, you know, it's just something to keep in mind. Um, and, and I think that that is, that's just embodied so often by the religious mentality is like someone becomes so embedded in their belief system that they have no doubt at all. And they're the blindest people around. It's the, you just feel bad for them. Like you don't even, you don't even, you've eradicated the capacity to even ask thought provoking questions at that point. And, you know, without over philosophizing too much, that's what the astrology of, of, of all this represents. Again, it's not a newspaper horoscope. It's the implications, the philosophical implications that the environment um, has around, uh, you know, on us. Um, and that environment is largely, it's not com- essentially completely dictated by you know, our orbit and the the axial precession and whatnot. So, I mean, yeah, it's just another cherry on top. You know, people are going to throw out astrology, but they don't understand the history of it at all. 
No, you're right. I mean, astrology and astronomy used to be the same exact thing. Uh, they grew out right. of the same place. Uh, I, you know what I find funny? It, it might seem off topic, but did you see that image that I think he was a physicist in Europe. He posted that picture of the, what was it, salami or some kind of meat and said that it was a picture of a sun. Did you see that story? No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, I think, I, think you would, I think you would really enjoy that. If you type in, um, and let's see, just type in scientist. I'm going to do this live here. Type in scientist, uh, meat, uh, sun, picture, and that should bring it up. And it says, yeah, yeah, here it is. Why a scientist is apologizing for a picture of meat. So he, he took a pic, it was a French scientist. He took a picture of a piece of meat, like a little circle, like a pepperoni. And then uh, real close up, I think he edited it, and it looks like the picture of a sun. And uh, he just did it to show how gullible people can be about about those types of things. But I just find that funny in relationship wow. to the the symbols and stuff we're talking about. I'm seeing the picture right now. Yeah, that's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, point made, most certainly. So what? So what? Um, do you, what do you make when we're talking about symbols like this, and you know how easily we can be persuaded uh, to believe something? What do you make of uh, all the Halloween traditional symbols? You know, all these things that you know are supposed to frighten us, or at least make us feel like we're in the mood for the holiday. Because to me, like I see a, I see a, a jack o' lantern. I see gourds. You know, for the fall, for autumn. I see. I see things like, you know, tr- even trick-or-treating. I mean, these are all the same things that we do during Christmas. You know, the, the, the plants and the things we bring inside of our homes, the greens, to remember nature, it's very similar to why we use pumpkins and root vegetables for Halloween in the same way that we have a trick-or-treat contract. You, you get the treat or there's a trick. Um, then we have the same thing in Santa Claus. It's a contractual obligation. You're naughty or nice. You have a reward or you have a punishment. Uh, Christmas and Halloween probably for at least Christians couldn't be seen as two completely different things any more than they already are. But the traditions uh, that come from a rich uh, human uh, analysis of nature and uh, culture, they're really coming from the same place, uh, from the contractual obligation to the veneration for nature, except one is really kind of dark and perceived as evil and the other one's kind of light and, you know, it's the birth of Christ. What do you make of that? I, I think they're very similar, Christmas and Halloween, and a lot of other you know holidays for that matter. Absolutely, yeah. It seems like holidays in general are meant to uh, uh, not only encapsulate the times that we've just recently experienced, but remind us of the times to come. Um, they're very much like they're almost like totems in Inception. I always love using that metaphor because it is an awesome movie and mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan pretty genius but um agreed you know, that, agreed he's <laughs> I, I don't like a lot of hollywood stuff but christopher nolan has been my favorite director and writer since i was in film school i agree no with doubt. you <laughs> um and you know aside from like you brought up um you know the example of bringing the vegetation inside um those those in and of themselves are very deliberate um acts um and, but you know, on the grand scale, the way I, I I I look at you know Halloween season and just the encapsulations, like even what Christmas has, of it's pretty much it's wintry death around us, and we bring the tree in to remind us it's not always going to be like this. And that whole aspect is, um, again, that that sort of Eastern mentality of reincarnation is at its most fundamental, not even something that happens uh, 
like life to life. It's something that is moment by moment even. And, you know, there are many instances throughout life, whether it be natural, like something like puberty or um, a beautiful or a traumatic event in your life where we become different people. You know, there's, there's a core essence there that stays, but we can become radically different. And we, you know, perhaps we don't talk to anybody from that past life that we had. We're living a completely different life in a new country. You know, these things happen all the time, you know, for better or worse, you know, whether we want them to or not. And I think that the more, you know, in retrospect, even in my life so far, um, some of the times that felt the most like an end um, to, to one thing or another were the most beneficial because um, I think that in that way, like symbolically, the more we die in this life now, the less we die when the time really comes, you know, because it goes back to, that is a very, yeah, that is a very good point. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I appreciate that. Um, but, uh, it, it, it just like the whole idea of tying good and evil to right and wrong. And it almost seems like humility is something that is shunned. Um, you know, the ability to admit when we're wrong and, um, the more that we are able to, to essentially let our ego die, I guess, in this lifetime, the, the better off we're going to be when the great sleep really does come. And, and I think that that is, you know, what, um, why holidays in general are important, especially the ones, the winter holidays, essentially. Well, throughout, um, and throughout, throughout human history, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say is the, the, the cherry on top. I don't think they'll ever die. You know, these, as long as humans are around, these traditions will continue in one form or another. No, they certainly will. And we create new traditions based on superstitious symbols. Superstition just means from somewhere we don't remember or don't understand, don't know. So we create new traditions on these symbols and the next generation might see, I'm just using a skeleton as a very obvious example, but we might see a skeleton as having no meaning because we've stripped the meaning from it or we've forgotten the meaning but nevertheless, the origin of why we've used skeletons or coffins and, and images like this is because so it's the death of nature. Uh, it's the uh, alignment of the microcosmic self with the macrocosmic self and nature and the universe. It's putting ourselves into the position of uh, natural deities, if you will, uh, the ebb and flow or the yin and yang of nature. And so all of these things that, that humans have practiced, I mean, obvi obviously some of these things are, are based more so on science and agriculture and planting and harvesting and all this. But uh, all these things that we celebrate and we practice, they build the, the rich human experience. They build the history. They build the, uh, the in some cases, the archaeology, things we find later, uh, you know, things that were uh, mapping the sun and the stars. And there's so much incredible uh, and fantastic uh, knowledge and information to extract from these things. I do this show, Anthony, because I want to share with people my views on things that are usually reduced to a simple black and white. And to me, it's just fascinating when I think of the horses of the apocalypse or I think of the apocalypse, which is the unveiling, the lifting of the veil. These things to me, I find to be so incredibly positive and enlightening that I feel a complete completely different energy about something like Halloween than I did when I was a kid growing up in a more religious household. 
and I think the same could be said if, if I grew up an atheist, I'd you know, maybe see it a little bit differently. But I, I find Halloween to be uh, a very positive holy day, just like Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead is a, is, a, is a holiday of honoring the dead. It's not worshiping the dead. But my point is, I see this as a beautiful thing, and I see this as an alchemical thing, a very transformative thing. And I think it's something that we need to share with people, and that's why we're doing the show tonight. At least that's why I wanted to have you on the broadcast. Yeah, well, I appreciate I appreciate that, man. And um, yeah, I think the the Day of the Dead and the uh, the the archetype of Santa Muerte is uh, pretty beautiful. I really appreciate it, and I think that that also, at its best, um, encapsulates everything we've been talking about. Essentially, yeah, um, revering these things, not worshiping them, and um, allowing them. The you know whether it be skeletons or just the the concept of death itself to help us live a more informed life. Yeah, I find this really interesting too. I mentioned it at the end of one of the last segments. I was talking last week with a guest about Santa Morte and how she uh, she carries uh, scales with her, and I I actually didn't know that. And then I thought, well, I was already uh, talking about Anubis during that show and the wane of the heart and the feather. And then I looked up and I, I, I forgot this, but until tonight, I forgot that the third her, horse of the apocalypse, which again, it's the seasons, uh, the black horse brings famine. So that's the you know, death of the crops and you have a harvest and a festival and all that. But he also carries with him similar scales like Lady Justitia, Lady Justice. And so those scales are a balancing uh, toward the end of the year, uh, balancing before the cycle uh, begins again. And that, I mean, that is the story of uh, the final judgment. The final judgment uh, in Christianity is really just, you know, <laughs> the, the, the autumn season. It's really the fall, which is the fall of man. Uh, all of these things are to be understood in a much, uh, I mean, obviously, I think it's a much clearer understanding. It's not so uh, riddled with nuance and ambiguity. It's much more easy to understand when you look at it this way. You, gotta, you kind of have to break that esoteric code. But once you get it, it's like, Wow. This is something. This is way different than what I was taught, and way different than what you know the opposition to those beliefs were taught. This is this makes a lot more sense. Absolutely, yeah, and and it's right under your nose. All you got to do is just set aside some of the uh, the dogma, whether it be religious or just how we were raised. Um, some of the preconceived notions that we have are the most limiting aspects, um, and then once you can. Once you can at least set those aside or just at least be critical of them in an open-minded way, um, a lot of things are going to start to open up, most definitely. They certainly do. Anthony Tyler, where can listeners find your books and where can listeners find you on social media? We still have time left, but I don't like to wait to the very end to give that information out. Yeah, um, you know, if you want, you can find me on Twitter. That's uh, DiveMind667. You can go to my website, uh, DiveMind.net. And, um, you can also definitely check out my podcast. It's called black hoodie alchemy. It is kind of like an all year Halloween vibe. Um, <laughs> I like to play, I like to play boom bap hip hop. Um, among other things, you know, sometimes you might find some blues on there. I like to actually, um, get independent artists to kind of mix it up and, uh, you know, help create the aesthetic. So I, I, I do like playing music on there and it's, um, it's just, you know, it honestly, everything, if you enjoyed this conversation at all, um, the whole show is sort of 
expounding upon the idea of going into the darkness with the light in mind, you know, hence the title. So uh, I would definitely encourage you to go check that out too. I'm, I've had a lot of fun doing it. And I think that the guests I've had on so far, sometimes it's solo, sometimes it's with guests, but um, I'm really thankful for the people I've had on because I think that they've been um, very well-informed guests and it's been really fun conversations. So, yeah, I mean, go check out my books. You know, you can, you can find pretty much everything at my website, divemind.net. So, um, yeah, um, I hope I hope everyone uh, enjoyed the conversation. I sure had fun. And you, you've you written two, correct? Yep, yep. Uh, Dive Manual and Hunt Manual. There'll be more around the bend eventually. Maybe maybe a trilogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. It's, I think it's, so. It's a lot of hard work writing books. And, I mean, do you, you self-publish, correct? Yeah, um, I... Some people think that self-publishing is like being less accredited, but I have always been raised uh, the punk rock mentality. Um, I am not looking to be accredited. I don't want fingers tampering with my vision. Um, you know, like core punk rock mentality undiluted is doing it for the passion and for the culture and not for the money. So, and it would be great, you know, I, I, I'm not, um, I'm not donating all of my proceeds to a charity or anything. I'm just saying, um, I don't, I do this for the love of it and I don't, um, I, I, I do it deliberately against, uh, the structures. I'm not interested in publishing houses or gatekeepers. Um, that's what I'm all. I don't know what happened there for some reason. Anthony Tyler just got disconnected. Let's try to call him back and see if we can reconnect immediately with him. You are listening to The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable. Anthony, are you there? Yeah. I don't know what happened. It, it just cut out there, but go ahead. Oh, well, you know, just to put a cherry on top, I was just kind of ranting a little bit, but like everything, you know, my inspiration is really um, against gatekeeping and, you know, priest classes. Anybody that's trying to tell someone that they need official approval for something is not what I'm about at all, so... You know, DIY to the core. And I'll probably always self-publish, to be honest. Although it would be really great to, um, like, have my own press or something. That way I don't have to use Amazon. I definitely yes. have steps. <laughs> steps. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I mean, I've had publishers before. I've had people ask me to submit the books. But I don't know. I feel like even though the distribution would be better and there'd probably be a lot more money in it, uh, I, I do also like to have complete control <laughs> for the same reason. I don't, cause, cause what I'm writing, I'm, I'm assuming what you're writing as well, because I've read, I've read your first book that it's coming from a place of, well, as the people in Sedona might say, high vibration, it's, it's coming from something <laughs> that's, that's internal and it's not clunky and mechanical. It's a flowing form of energy. And I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not going to edit my book, not same with you. I don't think you're not editing your book, but it's, it's, you don't want someone going in there and chopping it all up. Uh, and, and that's, yeah, not, and that's not a good or a bad thing. That's just a preference. Yeah, exactly. And I certainly don't want someone chopping up my book because it's not marketable. Like, I don't even want to entertain any sort of obligations that have anything to do with that. You know, this isn't about marketability anyway. Yeah, of course. So dive manual. And then what was the second one called? Hunt manual. Hunt and that manual. one is, all about the shadow. The, uh, the subtitle is 21st century demonology and Fortiana. So 
you're in for some more Halloween subject matter, I would definitely recommend perusing that. Yeah, Anthony's books are great for this time of the year. I think my Occult Arcana book's also pretty terrifying for some people, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's there's where you can get Anthony's stuff. The Secret Teachings is where you can get my book. Uh, the daemon, not demon, but the daemon, the Greek daemon. Can you tell us what that is? What is the daemon? Is it us? Is it part of us? Is it something external? Can you make a deal with the internal you? How does all that work? Hmm, that is a good question. Um, hmm. You know, to encapsulate it the easiest, I think that, um, you know, particularly from the human perspective, there's certainly, uh, there's, there's detrimental metaphysical entities, let's just call them, because, you know, there's different, there's different um, vernacular that you could use here to mean the same thing. And then there's the positive entities. And I do think that there is uh, the gray area, you know, the jinn, the daemon, the thing that just doesn't really have a category. Um, it is probably self-serving and can, and that could be um, advantageous or not. And, you know, I, it, to me, um, it, especially in today's world, um, that seems to be, the daemon seems to represent the gray area for me. Um, now, I know in the broadest historical context, it sort of just was a word for spirit, like, Mm-hmm. entities in general uh, but um more and more you know you see it used uh, as a sort of just place marker like, we don't know what this is the daemon this is something else um i think that that's interesting it's an interesting consideration especially watching uh the definitions of things take shape over time um but you know in terms of making deals um you know, every day is a deal with something. It just, you know, just depends on what you're currently um, interacting with mm-hmm. and, you know, what you're waging with that deal. So, um, do you see I, the, you see the trick or treating as a deal? I've always kind of joked about that, but it is, it's like a contract. It's trick or treat. You get the treat or there's a trick. It's a contract. Um, yeah. Make a deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's, also in and of itself very healthy um, um, because, you know, it was Manly P. Hall that said that nature gives humankind a gift and that gift is the privilege of labor, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of contractual obligation to keep yourself alive. Um, through our obligations and our contracts, we oftentimes learn the most about ourselves. I mean, how are you going to learn anything about yourself without engaging in things? So. You know, it's all in the middle path. As long as you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, and that's a whole other thing, you know, that I'm fascinated by is intention is so key with even just, you know, a Satanist can be a really great person and a Catholic priest can be a pedophile. So <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it doesn't matter if you're praying to God necessarily. Um, it, you know, that that doesn't make you a good person. That doesn't make your deeds just. Um, it really depends. You know, there are many. I could give you so many examples of serial killers and cult leaders that have done it in the name of God, seemingly um, like intentionally too, not as a joke. So, yeah, we have to um, we have to be deliberate and full of intent and um, yeah, ready to. Don't take everything at face value either. You got to follow your gut on things. Mm-hmm. 
Well, again, I appreciate you coming on the show and I've been trying to get better at wrapping up guest interviews before we're at the very last minute. So you've gotten to get out <laughs> your, your website, your book, uh, people want to contact you. Uh, so you've social media, et cetera. So Anthony Tyler's our guest this evening, the shadow exploring the shadow, looking at the shadow of both ourselves and of nature and the lifting of the veil and the apocalypse and the horses of the apocalypse. That's at least what I'm really focused on this year during the Halloween uh, season. We're going to have other guests on the show this week and next week, and we're going to be discussing a lot of different things. We will have a Ouija board show with Karen Dahlman coming up. we got Charlie Robinson and some other people that are lined up to come on the show. So stay tuned to The Secret Teachings for that. Otherwise, you can listen to the rest of this show. Like if you missed anything, you missed an epi- a part of the episode, you missed a segment, you can go to the website or you can just go to find the show on any radio or podcast player. Please share the show. I'm, I'm sure Anthony would appreciate that if you shared the show. Uh, I know I would appreciate it. Just search mm-hmm. The Secret Teachings. So we got about two and a half minutes left, Anthony. Anything else, the floor is yours. Mm. Well, I mean... Ultimately, man, I, I would say to everyone, um, I would encourage everyone to indulge a little bit this Halloween season in some of the dark side of things, most certainly. Um, and do it with intent, you know, do it with, do it with a, with a sense of reverence. Um, you know, but when you're, you're watching the horror movies, but be thankful and take your contract seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> um, I think that, um, the, uh, the silly ritualization of the contract, um, is meant to be a reminder of the more impactful, um, allegories of contract throughout our life. So, um, be deliberate in your intentions, and, you know, never, don't ever be afraid to have some damn humility. You know, he could save your ass. So <laughs> I, I think that's, you know, that's pretty much it. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think, um, you know, people get hemmed up on the deifications of things. I would say uh, that the archetypal psychology and even the astrology, as you put it today, um, you know, using empirical observation to sort of, deduce what the obvious implications of these things are. If you do that, something like Halloween is very clearly not some devil worship. It's everything we talked about in this episode. And I think that's a good example of how to approach symbolism and the esoteric um, is to, you know, these things go beyond our understanding, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't approach them empirically or as scientifically as possible. I completely agree with you. I don't like to say that always because it sounds like I'm not listening. And then I just say, oh, I agree. No, I mean, I, I do agree with, <laughs> I've, I've agreed with virtually everything you've said tonight, a hundred percent. There are some things that we've expanded on. We've gone into, into more detail, exploring the shadow of Halloween tonight with Anthony Tyler. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Ryan. I look forward to the next time around and uh, happy Halloween season to everybody out there. And to you as well. And I think that uh, people should go check out your show, check out your books, and we'll have you back on at some point, hopefully in the near future. Sounds good, buddy. You take care. All right. You take care as well, Anthony. Bye-bye. Peace. All right. There goes Anthony Tyler. Again, I'm Ryan Gable. A couple of quick things. Once again, 
www.thesecretteachings.info. Grab a copy of one of my books. I have a whole chapter on the origins and the traditions of Halloween, Occult Arcana. You can also grab my new book, Liberty Shrugged, all on that website. Email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. TST underscore underscore radio is Twitter, facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. The music tonight and every night is White Bat Audio. They let us play their music for free. That's White Bat Audio. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, concerns, uh, hate mail, whatever, good mail you want to send me, send it to that email, rdgable at yahoo.com. Let us know what you think of the show. Leave us a review on any radio or podcast player. Please subscribe. Please grab a book. I keep repeating it because I have to because it keeps us on air when you do it, and I really appreciate it. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. And as always, we will talk to you on the next broadcast. Keep yourself informed rather than afraid, especially during this Halloween season. 